We are continuing in Ephesians this morning. And so we've seen in the first 14 verses of chapter 1 that we have all of these blessings that we received in Christ because of what he has done for us. And so Paul has outlined those kind of excitedly in one extremely long sentence. Remember verses 3 through 14 are all one sentence. And Paul is just kind of rapid firing these blessings at us. And so the question we're coming to today is, how do we respond once we know we have all of these blessings? What do we do? How do we receive them? And what do we do in response to that? And it's at this point that I need to let you know something, and we don't do this very often, but um, the title and the points in your bulletin are not going to be the title and the points for the sermon this morning. Um, I was driving around last night, and there was a phrase that caught me earlier in the week, but yesterday it, it got me again, and I felt like I needed to expand on that a little bit because I thought it would be helpful for us. Um, and so we are changing the title and the points of the sermon um, because of the perspective I got on how to look at some things here. And so um, instead of just giving you a glimpse of those things and you know, giving you not an hour sermon, um, which I think you'll appreciate. We're going to adjust some things and st stop a little sooner than we plan to. And so what we're actually talking about this morning is our faith in Christ. And so I'm going to reframe this section as faith worth talking about. Faith worth talking about. And so that's where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 15 um, of chapter 1. It's page 1036 in your Bible that's sitting in front of you. Um, or you can always follow along um, through the Brentwood Bible app. Our Sunday service is there. You can, um, if you're live streaming, you can live stream through there if you didn't know that. Or the scripture is listed there for you as well. But before we go, I want to talk about this. There's just one sentence here as well. So verses 15 through 23 are also just one sentence. And so Paul essentially writes this whole first chapter in two sentences, um, which is a lot of commas and a lot of things. But the good news is, Paul, at least in Ephesians chapter 1, progresses very logically. And so if you're a logical, rational thinker, you're kind of, I, I loved what Paul was doing because I could follow him very easily because there's a chain from one thing to the next. And so we see Paul mention one thing and then he goes deeper into that, right? He takes one idea and then he branches off into another, right? We have blessings. And then today he's going to like, well, how do we respond to those blessings? Oh, we pray, and we pray for wisdom and knowledge. Well, then what do we need to know? And one of the th three things we need to know, one of them is power. And then he branches off into what is God's power. And so it's kind of this chain that Paul is giving us in Ephesians 1. And so if you're reading that, you'll be able to pick that up as we go. But let's read um, verses 15 through 19 um, together this morning. And it says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. And so that's what we're looking at this morning, right? Is this, these verses right 
here. And he starts with the same thing that we're talking about is, what are those blessings and what do we do? Which is why he starts with, this is why, or your translation may have, for this reason. And so what he's really saying is, because of the blessings that we've received, which he just outlined, right? Election, predestination, adoption, grace, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, knowledge of the mystery of his will, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and inheritance— what does he do? Because of this, I pray. Right? We see works, we are thankful, we praise him, and now we respond with prayer. And so in verses 3 through 14, we saw God, Paul praising God for who he is and what he has done, and now he follows that up with prayer. And I think in our lives, we can be reminded that we need this balance of praise and of prayer. Right? Sometimes we spend all our time in prayer asking for God's blessings, forgetting that we have already received so many blessings from Him. We already have them, so we don't need to continually ask for them. And sometimes we feel so secure in Christ that we don't seek Him. We don't talk to Him. We don't pray. We don't ask for help. And so Paul is connecting these two together in this first chapter of Ephesians. Right? We keep praising God for all of the spiritual blessings that he has given us, and we keep praying that we will come to know the fullness of those blessings he has given us. And so we see that from what he says here. And this is the, phrase, the next phrase is what actually changed the trajectory of this sermon. He says, for this reason, because when I heard of your faith, when I heard of your faith, so somehow Paul had heard of the faith of the Ephesians. Now, this is way before the internet age, before TV, before newspapers. So it's not like Paul, Paul saw an Instagram story of the Ephesians do, living out their faith and said, oh, I see that and I like it, I've heard about it. That's not what happened. The stories of the Ephesians and their faith were being told in such a manner that Paul came to hear them. And so this is where I, I ran into a question and I, I couldn't let it go, which is why we changed the sermon. But it's, it's a hard question. But the question would be, who has heard about your faith? Or our faith as a church? Right? Who has heard? Is anyone talking about it? Is your faith talking about in a good way? Right? Usually Christians, especially in the media, we're kind of classified by what we're against more than what we're for. Right? And so we're not talking about your stance on something or your opinion on politics or abortion or any of those things. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about your faith. Right? And I think this is an important question that we should be able to answer. What does faith that's worth talking about actually look like? How would we have to live so that someone would hear about our faith and want to tell someone else? And I thought, could we answer that question? Like if I asked you, get out a piece of paper and write down, what is faith that somebody wants to talk about look like? Would we be able to answer the question? And I think it would be hard for some of us. It took me a while, but I got there. And so that's what I want to do this morning is I don't want to just say, hey, get out a piece of paper and try to do this. I want to walk you through some things that I think would demonstrate this so that we can have an idea of what it looks like to have a faith worth talking about. One, I think that we should be steadfast, right? Not 
a sensationalist approach, no sky is falling mentality no matter what happens, right? So results of elections are not as significant for us. Pandemics are not something to be feared. When the economy is hurting, we can persevere and be calm because our faith is not in any of those things. Our faith is in the Creator, and He is in charge. He has it all under control. And we've talked about this before. This doesn't mean we detach from everything in this world and say, oh, it doesn't matter, and it's not important, and I can let it go. That's not what it's saying. We can still invest in those things and be involved in those things, but they're in the proper perspective, right? We're trusting God in all of those areas that he has it under control. And so we can be steadfast. We can persevere. We can move forward regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what is happening in the world. I also think we can live a a reasoned life or a calm life, right? We don't have to chase the same things that everybody else is chasing. You don't have to chase money, success, influence, popularity, followers, parenting awards, none of those things. We don't have to chase after those things because those things are in the proper perspective. Right? We know they're not ultimate in our lives and shouldn't be that God is ultimate in our lives. So we don't have to sell out for them. We don't have to neglect other parts of our lives to get them. We also don't have to have big swings when we don't get them. Sure, you might be frustrated when you don't get the job or you don't get the promotion or you don't get what you want, but it's not the end of the world. Right? You're still going to make it through. God is still on the throne. He is still reigning. He is still with you. And God provides. Right? The Bible is very clear. If he provides for the grass and the birds and the flowers of the field, he will provide for us. We can trust in him and not have these big swings when we don't get the things we want. We should also be loving. Right, which means we don't overreact to things that are happening. We don't attack the culture. We don't attack our enemies. We don't attack other religions even. Right? We don't have to be against so many things. And we can be loving to any and to all because we're not against them. They are not actually our enemies. Think of God and how he was loving towards us. Right? We were actually God's enemies in rebellion against him, against the creator. We were in rebellion. And his response wasn't to judge us and throw us out and tell us good luck and rail against us in scripture. No, he sent his son to die for his enemies, for us, the rebels, so that we could have life, so that we could be free, so that we could be saved. That's how God responds to those who are his enemies, who are those who are against him. His son dies for us so that we could be redeemed. And our faith teaches us that God can take care of opposition. He can take care of injustice. He knows what's happening in the world. He knows what's happening in the culture. He's going to handle it. I promise. He's got it covered. He doesn't need you to do it for him whether that's on social media or whatever it is, he doesn't need you to stand up for him and attack other people. He doesn't need that. 
And if he does need you to help him out in any of these areas, I am supremely confident that he will tell you exactly what you should do. He will let you know. And I also know he's going to take care of some sins, yes, in our life, but also in other people's lives that sometimes we want to take care of. He's going to take care of those on his own. He doesn't need us to solve other people's problem of sin or to point those out in other people's lives. We can be loving no matter the person we're talking to or interacting with or we hear about. We can still love them because God has loved us first. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? That's just three things. And look at all the stuff we got just from three characteristics. It's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think we could take many other characteristics of Christians, being patient, being kind, being forgiving, and build out a list of how each of those demonstrates our faith. So if you want to grow deeper in your faith, if you want to have a faith worth talking about, then do just that. Just make a list of all the characteristics that you think Christians should have, and then say, how does my faith show up in that area? What does that look like? And then we'll know, hey, this is how we should live. This is what we should do. This is how I should be loving, patient, kind. And this is what it actually looks like in my life. So it looks different than everybody else. And I think that will begin to get us in a place where people will hear of our faith because it's different than what people are used to. And so the rest of this, I think, helps us to understand what it looks like to have faith that people can talk about. Right? And so we're going to see that as we go. But a couple of introductory things is, next he talks about, because of what I've heard about you, what does Paul do? He gives thanks. What does he say? Because I've heard of your faith, I give thanks for you. And there's, there was a lot of challenging questions that I had from this section. Are we thankful when somebody else is doing well? Because that's what Paul's hearing. Paul's not hearing bad stories about the Ephesians saying, I'm giving thanks for you. He's hearing good things about the Ephesians. Are we thankful for other people in churches that do well? Right? In a time and a place in our church, I think that we are longing for success. We're longing for baptisms and salvations. Can we celebrate if the church down, down the street is seeing those things and we are not? Can we give thanks that God is working, even if it's not here but somewhere else? Can we be thankful that God is working? If he's working in somebody else's life more than yours, can you be thankful that God is working in their life? Right? And then he says, I give thanks and I pray for you. Right? He prays for them. And usually, when we pray or we are moved to pray, it's because we have bad news. Right? Can you pray for this? I'm experiencing this. I've lost my job. I have this health issue. Right? It's bad things that usually move us to prayer. A, a, a church is in trouble. A person needs help. And then we say, I'll pray for you. Right? But like we just said, that's not what Paul hears. He is hearing good things about the Ephesians. He hears of their faith and he says, I pray for you. Another challenging thing, when we hear someone is doing well, are we moved to pray for them? 
right? Because usually it's the opposite. We only pray for people that need help. So I think we should do just what Paul is doing and pray for people who are doing well. And if you're not sure what to pray, Paul is going to tell us exactly what to pray for right now. And so we can put these together and pray. Um, And before we go on, just one more thing. This is important just theologically to understand what's happening in the next section, is that Paul is talking, in my opinion, to people who are already believers. Um, And so this is important because he has heard of their faith. And then so I think I'm taking that as they have come to know and trust in Jesus. But this is important because it helps us interpret what comes after. Um, In the verses to follow, he's going to talk about the spirit um, of wisdom and revelation. And so I want to be clear, these are believers that he is talking to, which helps us interpret what we're going to see. It'll make sense in a minute. And so I think we can help that understand and help that understand it as we go. And so in verses 17 and 18, right, he's praying again, and we see his prayer. He prays that they would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Right, and so we can understand from these two verses two things. One, how to have faith we're talking about, and how we can pray for others to have the same thing. And so he asks and prays that they would receive, that he would be, they would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so the real question when you come to this phrase is, what does spirit mean? Um, some of you may have a capital S for spirit in your Bible. Some of you may have a lowercase s for spirit in your Bible because there's really two options here, right? One is that, is that is a spirit, and that would be little s, Spirit like we see in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, right? It's a spirit more like an attitude or a disposition that we have, not the Holy Spirit. But it could also be capital S Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And if they are already believers, which we just talked about, which is why I said this, they had already received the Holy Spirit. So this isn't saying they're receiving an additional blessing of the Holy Spirit, something extra that they didn't have before. I don't think that's what this is saying, but you will read commentators who will say that. So I don't want you to know that's not what we're talking about. Um, We don't think that's what's happening here. But it is also the Holy Spirit that gives us gifts and helps us to live out what we learn through God's Word. And so I think this is simply saying May you grasp what the Holy Spirit desires to give you. Right? May the Spirit, Holy Spirit give you wisdom, give you revelation. May he give it to you. Right? Not as a second blessing or anything like that, because that's what he does. He gives us these things. And so I'm going to talk about the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of revelation, and we're going to separate the two. That doesn't mean I'm talking about two different spirits, just to be very clear. There's not one spirit of wisdom and one spirit of revelation. We're saying all of those are together in the Holy Spirit. And so for some of you, you're going to wonder why I told you that. And some of you are like, I know exactly why he's saying those phrases about the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to make that clear before we moved on. So it's the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. So what are wisdom and revelation? Wisdom is that we perceive reality accurately, that we can see the world clearly. 
Right? Because our sin and our selfish desires and our wants warp and distort how we see the world. We see it differently because of that distortion. And wisdom helps us to see things from God's perspective. It helps us to identify falsehoods. It helps us to identify wrong world views. It helps us to see cultural norms that don't align with Scripture. Along with that, biblical wisdom always includes a dimension of how to live. So the spirit of wisdom doesn't just help us to see the world clearly, right, of both the world and ourselves, but it helps us know how to live, how to respond to what we now see and understand clearly, which is where revelation comes in, right? Revelation is the unveiling of something or insight into God's plans and purposes, And so the spirit of revelation helps us to see God's desires and his plan for our lives. So we see clearly in having wisdom, he shows us how to live, and revelation gives us a deeper insight into God's plans and purposes. So all of those come together to help us how to live a faith worth talking about in a world that is distorted and warped and twisted and broken. But why does he pray that so that we might be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation? What does he say? So that you may know. So that you may know. Right? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. And so what does it mean that your, the eyes of your heart are enlightened? Right? Those are not phrases that we normally use. But you have to think of heart as your center, right? Of the center of who you are, where the real you lives and comes from. That's what heart means. Wherever the real you is, wherever it comes from, that's it. So when he talks about the eyes of your heart being enlightened, think of the lights coming on in your heart. That someone pushes the power button in your control center, We can see because God has enlightened us. He has turned on the lights. And the way I think about this is light bulb moments, right? Those moments when something clicks and connects and the light bulb comes on, right? You see this in cartoons and TVs when somebody goes, aha, and then a light bulb appears above their head, right? That's what we're talking about, I think, with enlightenment, to see something in a new way. To gain an insight that you didn't have before. A make a connection you didn't see before. That's what Paul wants for the Ephesians and for us. To see clearly. For our hearts and our minds to be illuminated by the Spirit. So that we can see his plans clearly and understand what he desires for us to do. It's actually pretty well describes how I try to approach preaching, is to give you information so that you can make connections or see something that you haven't seen before or understand something more clearly so that you can have those light bulb moments so that you can be enlightened. So the eyes of your heart can be enlightened so that you can know. So the goal is knowledge, specifically knowledge of God. And we talk often about knowing God, but what does that really mean? Are we just memorizing facts about God? Right? He's the creator. He's holy. He helped Abraham. He has power. Right? Like we know facts about cars. 
right? We know what size engine they have and how fast they will go, how fast they'll go from zero to 60, like any of us are ever doing that when we're driving out on the streets. Maybe you guys are. I'm not doing that very often, right? Or the year or the make or the model, all of those things. Some of you can see cars from 50, 60 years ago and know exactly what kind of car it is. Is that the kind of knowledge we're supposed to have about God? We can just know facts about him and we can recite them or write them down as a list? These abstract, disconnected truths? But the knowledge that we're talking about here goes deeper than that. It moves past facts and truths to experience. Right? It's like a car right, that you get in and drive when... We were in the pandemic, and Micah had his fifth grade graduation, which was supposed to be a big thing, but we couldn't really do it because nobody could go outside or do anything. So we had this parade through the neighborhood, and we decided that we would rent a convertible Mustang so that he could drive around in the neighborhood and ride in a convertible Mustang. And it's one thing to know the facts about a convertible Mustang and how it drives and how fast it is and that the top goes down. It's another thing to actually get in the driver's seat and feel it, and turn it on, and drive it slowly through the neighborhood. And you don't know is those things, the new ones have air-conditioned seats, meaning the air blows out of the seat onto you. It's amazing. See, you don't know that. You don't experience that unless you've been in one. And I talked to Matt afterwards because he has to repair those seats all the time. So he says, if you get one, those are going to break a lot. Um, so just, it sounds great, but we're not quite there yet. But in Texas in the summer, air-conditioned seats, I think is what we should all be putting our money towards and petitioning our representatives, like, this is the top of the list, right? Air-conditioned seats. But until you get in there and until you do that, you haven't experienced it. It's just a list of facts, right? And this is what he's talking about for knowing God. It's not just a list of facts. It's an experience, right? You feel him. You interact with him. He talks to you. It's a completely different level of knowledge. Right? Completely different. It adds the knowledge of experience to the knowledge of understanding. And so those two things go together. And we have a deeper experience of who God is. And so the question is, are we asking for this? Are we asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation? For ourselves or for others? Are we asking God to turn on the lights in our heart and in our soul? Right? Because we often think that we know enough, so we don't need God's help. So we don't ask the Spirit to help us. But as students of the Bible, we need this. We need the humility to say, I can't or I don't understand. Can you show it to me? Can you open my eyes? Can you turn on the lights? And this is also true for those who are not yet believers. You can still ask God to help you understand, to still help you see clearly. He is there. He is waiting. He can help you, both to see the reality of the world around you, which I think we're all trying to make sense of, and to understand even if he is real and who he really is. All you have to do is ask, and he will reveal that to you. He will show you who he is. And then Paul, as he continues to go, expands on, well, what do we need to know? And he gives us three things that we need to know, and we see this in the second half of verse 18 and verse 19. 
so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. And so first, right, Paul's actually, well, I don't know if it's Paul, I didn't check the Greek on this one, but in Ephesians 1, at least the translators have done us a lot of helps, right? The last sections, they were all in him, in him, in him. And here, these three things all start with what is, what is, what is. So it's really easy to follow. So to know what is the hope of his calling, right? He wanted us to know and to understand the hope that is ours because God has called us to salvation. So every Christian, every believer can appreciate his or her sure hope for the future that rests on their calling to salvation. And so the question, you can do this more, right? How does his calling give us hope? How does your calling, how does your salvation give you hope in the world? And there's lots of answers to that. But the next two things that Paul talks about, I think actually give us examples of how we can have hope, right? To know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance, so we've been talking even already in Ephesians about our inheritance that we receive in Christ, that we are heirs and children of God. If you're studying with us in Galatians on Wednesday, these terms are going to be very familiar because it seems like every week we're talking about inheritance and heirs and sons and daughters in Galatians as well. That we inherit eternal life. But if you notice, this phrase doesn't say our inheritance. Right? It says his glorious inheritance. And so there seems to be another side to the inheritance that comes from God's perspective. That we would be God's inheritance that he receives when we go to be with him. We are his glorious inheritance. We are of great value to him, which he demonstrated with the death of his son for us. And when we go to be with him, whether that's the end of our life on earth or when he returns, we will be fully his. The sin, the selfish desires, the doubts, they all wash away. And we can be fully assured that we are part of the family of God and that we can live with that assurance now. We don't have to wait for it. You can have hope and assurance now. But it also says that we should know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the mighty working of his strength. This word for power refers to a spiritually dynamic living force, that his power is alive. Right? It's just not something that we do like a machine that we turn on and off and we control it. No, his power is alive and active. And if power wasn't enough, right, he gives us three additional words to help describe this power. It is mighty, it is working, it is strength. And so mighty speaks of power that overcomes resistance. This is most often used in Jesus' miracles. Right? He is mighty. He overcomes the resistance. He overcomes heal- someone who is sick, who- someone who is demon-possessed. He is mighty. He is more powerful than them. This word is only 
used for God, never for people. The fact that God is mighty in Scripture only talks about Him. He is over, able to overcome resistance, struggle, suffering, healing, all of those things. But He is also working. The term for working is where we get our word energy, right? It's the same word at the beginning, right? God is not passive. He is actively, energetically working in your life. He is working in the world. He is active. His power is moving. And then he, his strength. This is inherent power, right? You just see it. You know that he has it. You ever seen somebody who like walked into the room and you're just like, I don't know who that is, but that person has a lot of power, right? Whether it's because they have power because of their position or power because they work out a lot and they're enormous, right? Either way, you just know they have power. That's how God is. When you see him, you just know God has power. It's not given to him. It's not because of his position. It is part of him part of who he is. And so these three words describe God's power as energetic, as inherent in God, and able to overcome resistance. That's what God's power is about. And this is where we would have kept going because the next section of verses is all about God's power. But we're going to stop there for today because I don't think you guys want to be here for 20 more minutes to listen to me talk. And there's plenty of things to talk about God's power next week. And so today we're talking about a faith that's worth talking about. And I think this helps us understand what's that, what that looks like, that it's God's power working in us that enables us to live the way that he calls us to live so that it is different than what the world sees. Right? It's a balance of prayer and praise. It's a balance of trust and action, of moving forward and following Him. So let's praise God and thank Him for His blessings. Let's praise Him for His power. And let's pray. Pray for each other, not just in hard times, but when we're doing well, just like Paul prays for the Ephesians. We will continue to follow Jesus fully that we will know God more fully, not just facts about him, but to experience him, to talk with him, to feel him, to trust him so that our lives can be transformed and people will hear and they will want to talk about our faith. And so one day, somebody might write about us, I heard about your faith, right? I heard about your faith. And that's the beginning of a story that God has done in someone else's life. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for all of the blessings that you give us. I pray that we will be confident and assured that those blessings, if we are believers in Christ, if we are given our lives over to you, that we have already received those blessings of salvation and redemption and forgiveness. And we can take hold of those. But I pray that we would not be content just to say, oh, I have God's blessings or I have eternal life so I can just coast. But that we would continue to seek you. We would continue to pray to you and ask you to give us more 
more wisdom, more understanding, more knowledge, more insight of what those blessings mean and how we live those blessings out. Help us to seek you and to follow you and to trust in you so that we can have a faith worth talking about. Not so that people will talk about us and say how great Ben is or whoever in our congregation is or how good Brentwood Bible, like, that's not what we do at Forward, so that your name will go forward. So that we can point to you and say, I am only good, I only have faith we're talking about because of what God has done in me through Christ. And so it all goes back to you and what you've done in us. So help us to seek you and to trust you and to live out what you are calling us to do. It's in your name I pray. Amen.